I also think about how, you know, we put up the white roses for those that we know. Only God knows how many lives he will touch through those shoeboxes when we pack those and send them out with our prayers. And uh, God uses them to touch the lives of children all around the world. All right, would you take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We are going to begin a new series this morning in this uh, book, and I'd like to read part of what we're going to look at this morning, verses 1 to 11, and then give some words of introduction to this series. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, listen to what Paul writes. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might, might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. And he has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this letter that was written by Paul so many years ago to one of your churches. It spoke to them and it speaks today. It's a word for us, for this church in Lindstrom and what you want to do in our lives. And so I pray, Father, that as we study this book in the weeks ahead, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would change us, make us more obedient, make us more loving, kind, gracious. Do a work of your Holy Spirit to grant conviction and power in the preaching of your word and in the sharing of the gospel. Father, would you do all of that for your honor and glory that we might truly live as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to make a few comments about the book of 2 Corinthians as we begin this morning. Uh, if you haven't read it in a while, I'd encourage you to do so. Just you know, move that into your quiet time at some point here and take a look at the whole thing as you read through it and start to make some notes. What you will find is that 2 Corinthians is the most personal of all of Paul's letters. He shares more about his ministry, his work as an apostle, and his life experiences in this letter than in any other one we have in Scripture. And there is a reason for that. Paul wrote four letters, actually, to Corinth, 
Two of them have been lost. Uh, we have what we call First and Second Corinthians. It seemed to Second uh, Corinthians seems to be the last of the four letters that he wrote. And between First and Second Corinthians, there was a group of false teachers who had come into the church at Corinth and were stirring things up, and they were making some charges against Paul. They were questioning Paul's authority. They were questioning his credentials as an apostle. And it seems from the letter that they were saying things like this. If Paul really is God's spokesman, why is there so much suffering in his life? I mean, wouldn't God protect him more if he really was his spokesman? What role does suffering play in the life of a Christian? Why is his ministry so lackluster compared to others? You know, it's not flashy. It's not spectacular like some of these other people who come in. And why is his preaching so dull, so boring? I mean, he's not the orator that we Greeks are who have been trained in speaking. And why did he change his travel plans if he really cared about us? If he was really intending to come to us, why has all of that changed? And so Paul writes to defend his apostleship, to talk about the role of suffering in the life of a believer, and to explain why his plans had changed and that he does intend to come to them very soon. 2 Corinthians is very practical. It deals with real-life issues. It talks about suffering. It talks about conflict in the church and how to deal with it. It talks about spiritual growth and spiritual battle talks about sin and salvation and putting our confidence wholly in Christ and His grace. It talks about ministry and how we can be made competent and effective ministers. It talks about money and good stewardship. It even answers the question, what happens when we die? What is our future going to be like? What is our future hope? And the theme of this letter, which you will see all the way through, is that God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient in every situation. What we're going to talk about today is how God's grace is sufficient in our troubles. But we're going to find God's grace is sufficient for our salvation. God's grace is sufficient for our daily needs. God's grace is sufficient in our weakness, for His power is made strong in our weakness. There are so many wonderful verses and lessons that we can learn from this letter that I am really looking forward to the weeks ahead as we study it together. Today, the question we're going to look at is why does God allow human suffering? It is probably one of the most troubling questions that people have wrestled with, uh, wondering what is the place for this, why is it present in our world, and how can God use it? And today what we're going to see from Paul's example here, uh, we're going to look at four results that come from suffering. Four results that come from suffering. Number one, suffering results in a greater knowledge of God's character. Suffering results in a greater knowledge of God's character. Paul begins this letter by affirming his calling as an apostle of Christ Jesus. He has been called, not by his own choice, but by the will of God to be this representative of Christ. 
And he writes this letter along with Timothy, who has become a traveling companion of Paul's. Timothy, that young pastor in training. And he writes to the church of God that meets in Corinth, but he sends this letter to the whole region of Achaia, which is southern Greece, and to all the believers, whether they are in Athens or Corinth or in the outlying areas. He calls them saints in Christ. And he brings them greetings, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he begins this letter with this note of praise by saying, I want to praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. Paul praises God for his comfort in our lives. And he calls him again the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. You see, Paul had just gone through one of the most difficult trials in his life. And he talks about that in verse 8, but he doesn't tell us exactly what it is. That's amazing. I mean, here, Paul felt under such great pressure. uh, This particular trial was so difficult that he thought he was going to die. I mean, he felt the sentence of death in his own heart. And what was it that he went through? He really doesn't say Was it a reference to the riots that took place in Ephesus? We know that this trial took place in the province of Asia, which is in modern-day Turkey there on the western border of Turkey. Ephesus is there. Paul had spent a good deal of time there. There were riots where they wanted to put Paul and the new believers to death. Was it a reference to that? He doesn't say. Was it a severe illness in Troas that almost took his life? doesn't say was it another serious attempt on his life at another point another wave of persecution that afflicted him because of his travels and ministry or was it simply the weight of ministry and his concern for the corinthian church that he was grieved after hearing about this situation that had developed there and he wanted them to stand firm and he wanted to come to them we don't know what it was But what we do know is this, that as a result of his suffering, Paul learned more about God's character than he would have any other way. God had used this trial in his life to show himself more completely to Paul. And Paul learned and expressed here that God is indeed compassionate. He is merciful. When we go through trials in our life that are so difficult, whether it is financial or illness or dealing with our faith, you know, God's not up in heaven tightening the screws to see just how much we can take. God's not playing games with us. He understands our needs and He gives grace to get us through our trials. In Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16, the Scripture says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. And let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Whether our struggle is with sin or whether our struggle is with the trials of life, we have a Savior who understands 
because he became like us and he lived on this planet and he experienced those trials and heartaches and burdens of life yet without sin and he invites us to come to his throne of grace to ask for help and mercy and that's what he provides to give us the grace we need in our time of struggle he's the father of compassion he is the god of all comfort When he says he is the God of all comfort, he is stressing that he is the source of all comfort and encouragement and strength. Where do we find help in time of need? We find it in Christ. We find it in God and His grace. Now let me say a word about uh, comfort and how we use that today. In our English language, we've kind of softened comfort. We made it a word of ease. When we hear the word comfort, uh, we think of comfortable. Kind of take it easy, laid back, you know, no trials, no pressure, no pain, no anxiety. And we sort of associate the word comfort in that way, but the word comfort, even in English early on, had a very different meaning. It comes from the Latin word fortis, which means brave or strong or courageous. And God's comfort is more like that. It is meant to give us strength. It's meant to make us brave. It's meant to give us that power that we need to make it through difficulties and trials in our life. David Garland wrote this. He said that God's comfort strengthens weak knees and it sustains sagging spirits so that one faces the troubles of life with unbending resolve and unending assurance. God's grace gives us that kind of strength to go through our trials and to hold on to Him and we can meet it. And have you, you know, met believers like that where you've seen such faith, such courage, such strength in their life even in the midst of what may seem like overwhelming adversity? That's God's Spirit at work in their life even in the lives of those believers that were willing to lay down their life in times of severe persecution. And when we come alongside of someone in their trials, we are fulfilling a godlike role. The basic idea of comfort is to stand beside a person to encourage them and give strength when they are going through trials. And so as believers, when we visit someone in the hospital and we are there to pray with them or to encourage them, we are pouring our strength into them and we are doing a God-like task. I think recently, too, when Gail's dad was dying and how the family came alongside of him in those last days to give courage and strength by our presence. That's what the word comfort means. And Paul says that's what God does every time we go through trials. Suffering also results in a greater compassion for others. We see that in verses 4 and 5. Paul says that God comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. And Paul describes it almost like he has a scale in front of him. 
Just as the sufferings of Christ come into our life and he identifies with us in those sufferings, so also his comfort overflows. And what Paul would say is that they more than overflow. In Romans 8, he talks about that, you know, that he does not consider the sufferings of this present world that they are even worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. That what awaits us is so much greater that it just tips the scale. It blows them away. God comforts us in all of our troubles. The word trouble that Paul uses here is quite broad. It can refer to outward circumstances or it can refer to inward, mental, and spiritual distress. The word trouble here is used of persecution in Matthew 13. It's used to describe Joseph's troubles, his rejection, his temptation, his conflict with his family. It's used of the suffering that is caused by famine. It's used of marital conflict. It's used of the distress of widows and orphans from being alone in this world. It's used of health concerns. It's used of emotional and spiritual pain. And it is used for the effects of severe poverty. All of those are the kind of troubles and afflictions that Paul is talking about here. And his point is this, that God comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others in their troubles. God wants us to learn from our experiences and to share with others. He blesses us so that we can in turn bless others. I asked Tom Tangwall to share a story of something very difficult that happened in their life a number of years ago when our, first, when our church first started. And the very first funeral that we had in our church was for a baby, Barry Thomas Tangwell, who died just a few days after he was born. And here's what Tom has to say about that experience. December of 1986 that we were expecting our second child. Uh, we already had one child, Emily, who was three at that time. And uh, we had gone through a totally normal uh, pregnancy. Uh, had no reason to suspect that anything might be wrong uh, until um, our son Barry was born. And uh, we were up at the Chisago City Hospital. And uh, it had been kind of a long labor for Debbie. And um, it was late at night. And uh, I remember when he was born, uh, just the kind of uh, panicked uh, expressions right away from the nurse and the doctor. And I remember the first thing that the doctor said was uh, to the nurse was to call Children's Hospital. Went down to Children's Hospital. And uh, we spent the first uh, couple of days down there just going through tests. And he had uh, difficulty with... Uh, um, eating and with breathing and uh, he had some heart issues we met with uh, lots of different specialists and uh, we just um, really were having a difficult time and it was during that time that we um, we had several friends that had had children with uh, special needs that um, came to us and kind of shared their story of how God had helped them through that 
And um, it was just so comforting to hear um, from people that had that had, had a, a child with uh, disabilities and how they'd um, managed those first few days and those first few weeks and learned um, how to how to accept that, um, how to trust God for uh, their future in raising that child. And on the third day, uh, we got test results back um, that were. Um, pretty devastating. Uh, <clears throat> we found out that Barry had a, a chromosome abnormality known as uh, trisomy 13. And that, what it meant is that every 13th chromosome had a little extra piece on it. And uh, it, it just messed up a lot of different things for him. And um, uh, what it meant, uh, trisomy 13 is, is sort of rare. Trisomy 21 would be Down syndrome. Uh, trisomy 13, basically it's we found out that it's, it's uh, kids just don't live with it. Um, Mr. Rick shared with us from Second Corinthians, uh, first chapter, verses three through seven. It said, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in who are in any kind of affliction." through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. I shared this with Rick just recently that I thought that was a really strange verse to, to share with us at that time. Um, my focus was all on us getting through this. Um, how are we going to manage it? How are we going to handle, first of all, the thought of, of having a handicapped child and now the thought of losing a child? And this had just all happened so fast. Uh, just a few days before, we were all excited about the birth of our son, and now we were spent a couple of days um, trying to get ready for uh, having a handicapped child. And then now we were hit with the news that uh, we'd probably be planning a funeral shortly. And I just I thought, you know, I don't I don't really want to go go through this just so I can help other people. And I thought. Uh, you know, at the time, it, it seemed like an odd verse to, to share. And um, I remember the night that we got the news from the test that uh, Barry had trisomy 13, and we went back to our uh, back to our uh, room at the hospital. We were staying right at Children's Hospital, and we were just we were uh, We'd been having such a hard time sleeping. Uh, there were so many things, so many tests, so many things to think about, and we were just worn out. Uh, we were devastated, and uh, we just uh, um, we opened up the Bible and we read from Psalm 34, and we just felt a real peace come over us. Um, um, just the whole fact that God promised to be near to those that were brokenhearted was just uh, just so. Uh, calming and comforting <clears throat> and um, just kind of an amazing thing happened that night we um, we both went to sleep and we slept so soundly and we woke up the next morning and we just kind of looked at each other and we said man you know I, I just slept so good and we hadn't done that for the last few nights and it was uh, just a real sense of God's presence there and um, and then uh, as we uh, went through the next few days, and um, um, it was on the fifth day, after five days, 
Um, Barry passed away. We held him in our arms. It was a very difficult time, very sad time. But just as when we had been facing the, the issue of having a handicapped child, God had brought friends that um, came and talked to us. And it was just so comforting to hear how they'd gone through that and made it and how God had helped them through that. It was, um, it was after our, um, we'd lost Barry that um, it was like people came out of the woodwork that had uh, gone through the same thing. Um, uh, we had people in our church, that, and we'd only been to church for a little over a year, and uh, people right there in the church that, that had gone through it and spent time with us and uh, really helped us through that. And it was just a chance for us to just really see how God um, does put us in situations. He does uh, put things in our lives that are difficult, that are hard, and that um, he uses those uh, for us to grow, for us to learn how to trust him, but also then to use that experience and what we've gone through to help other people in their difficulties. And, uh, you know, we didn't want to go through this. Um, no one does in those situations. And yet it was, um, it was very comforting for us to afterwards to find out that uh, other people um, going through that, when we would share our story and talk to them. And we had just a few months after that, we had, I had a cousin that lost a child uh, to sudden infant death syndrome. And, you know, if, if that wouldn't have happened to us, uh, losing a child, we would have, I'm sure, you know, uh, talked to them and spent time with them. But uh, when we found out that they had lost a child, you know, we were in the car and we went down and we spent a day with them and, and helped them um, deal with that loss and help them through it and uh, we wouldn't have done that if we hadn't been in that situation and um, there have been a number of times over the years where we've heard of other people that have experienced the loss of an infant and and um, God has allowed us to, to step in and to, to talk to them to spend um, some time with them maybe write a letter to them and God has used our experience and our our difficult situation to help other people in a similar situation. We've really seen this uh, passage of scripture played out in our lives and just the truth of it and uh, the comfort that God brings is, uh, is unlike anything else that, that anyone else could do. So that's our story. I want to thank Tom for sharing that. It's not easy, uh, even after all these years. But an interesting note to follow up on that story was, this past week I'd asked Tom to do that, and he, was, he said, you know, he was kind of thinking about how he could say no, you know, didn't really want to say that ag again. And, and um, wouldn't you know, he got an email this week from a teacher who about 20 years ago, I think it was, had lost a daughter. And Tom and Deb had written a letter to them, and in this email at the end of it, she said, you know, I don't know if I ever thanked you, but that letter you sent meant so much, and I just want to do that now. And Tom said, you know, isn't that just like God to kind of put something there and remind you that he can still use your story, and he wants you to share that with others. God comforts us so that we can comfort others. A third, what we see in this text is that suffering results in a stronger character in verses 6 and 7. 
He says, if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Paul writes that it produces in us patient endurance of the same sufferings Paul suffered. It results in a steadfast spirit that can actually grow through trials. Paul spoke about his own experience here. I mean, he had, he had suffered so much. We're going to see that later in 2 Corinthians where he experienced beatings and imprisonments and shipwrecks and dangers in the city, dangers in the country, all kinds of hardship and hunger and loss. But Paul would say that God's grace was more than sufficient to get him through. And in his letter to the Romans, in chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, he said this. He said, we rejoice in our sufferings. Do you hear that? We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Paul knew the progression. He knew what suffering did when we hold on to God and how it builds our character. It causes us to persevere. It strengthens us. It gives us hope. And that hope does not disappoint because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. You know, here's what I like about the biblical view of suffering. When you look at the whole gamut of Scripture from beginning to end, suffering and death are evil. Suffering and death are not part of God's original plan. And so the Scripture does not glorify those things. And it doesn't say we should seek suffering, it doesn't say we should seek martyrdom, it doesn't say that at all in Scripture. Those are evil and they are part of, they are the result of sin entering into our world and they are things that Satan will try to use to discourage and defeat believers. But on the other side, what the scripture tells us is that we believe that God is so great and he is so powerful that even suffering can be used by God for our good and for his glory. He can take something that Satan means for evil and he can turn it around and use it for good. He can give us the strength to endure. He can make us strong, firm, and steadfast. And he can bring glory and honor to himself through believers who will trust him. We believe that death is not the last word on our life because death has been swallowed up in victory because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory in all things through our Lord Jesus Christ. And fourthly, Paul writes, that suffering results in a greater trust in God. Suffering results in a greater trust in God. When we look at verses 8 to 11, again, Paul said that he felt the sentence of death in his life. But he writes that all of this happened, all of this pressure we were under, all of this so that we even despaired of life happened, so that we might not rely on ourselves, 
but on God who raises the dead. God was weaning us away from our self-confidence or God was taking away those things that we thought were our security in life and God just pulled them out and he left us there. Why? So that we would learn not to rely on ourselves or be confident just that we can do this on our own or we can handle whatever life throws at us. No, he wanted us to become God-dependent. And do you know what God did? What God did, Paul would say, in my life was just like raising the dead. He took this man who was in depression or discouragement or despair and he lifted me up and he restored me to life. It was like a resurrection. And we have come to place our confidence in him. He writes that he has delivered us. He will deliver us. And he will continue to deliver us. He's talking about he has delivered us, past tense. He will deliver us, present tense situations. And he will continue to deliver us, future tense, whatever may come our way. On him we have set our hope. Our confidence is in Christ. Paul was always looking at his circumstances through God's eyes. He was always looking at what God can do. He was always looking at eternity and weighing those things out. And so even though there were things in this life that in our human sense would cause us to lose heart or be discouraged, Paul was encouraged because of Christ. And I say that to you this morning because maybe that's how you feel if you are a caregiver. And maybe you're a caregiver for someone who's in need right now and you feel like you're at the end of your strength. Give that to God and see Him work in your life to give you the power and the strength that you will need. Or maybe you are facing something very serious as a crisis in your life and you feel like, I can't handle this. The good news is that God can handle it. And God can give you the grace that you need when you trust Him for every single day. I think of the story of Johnny Erickson Tata, who many years ago now as a young woman was injured in a diving accident where she was left paralyzed as a quadriplegic. In those early days, she was strapped to a striker frame in a hospital bed. She had to be turned every two hours. Her head was shaved, her eyes were bloodshot and sunken, her weight went from 125 pounds down to 80 pounds, her spirit sank, she wanted to die, literally. She wanted to die but couldn't. She was angry and depressed, she had to work through all of those feelings in her life, and God gave her an extraordinary spirit of grace to be able to accept those changes in her life and to see how God could still use her to be an encouragement to so many people. And she wrote this. She said, Few of us have the luxury, and it took me forever to think of it like that, to come to ground zero with God. But in those days, I had no other identity but God. And gradually, he became enough. In the October edition of Christianity Today, Johnny shared about her ongoing health struggles with chronic pain the last 10 years and now with breast cancer. 
And she said, even though it may seem like it is being piled on, I mean, sometimes it seems like that, and we can't answer why it is for some people they seem to suffer so much while others not as much. And Johnny's gone through a lot. And she said, I keep holding on to Jesus, and I keep thinking of 1 Peter 2.21, where it says, To these hardships you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And she has been a remarkable woman of faith who has honored and glorified God in the midst of her trials. How do we get through our troubles? Well, we look to God and the truth of his word. We look to the example of others. We put our faith in the authority and the promises of God's word that he'll be there and his grace is sufficient. But I also like what Paul says here. We rely on the prayers of others for us too. We pray for one another. Did you catch that note here? All of this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril. He will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Paul the Apostle is asking for the prayers of the saints. He knows that prayers make a difference. And if you have ever gone through severe trials where others are praying for you, you know what it is like to be carried along. Because sometimes in the midst of our suffering, we just struggle to even find the words to pray. Or maybe we are losing our faith and confidence and we're struggling with that. And it takes someone else to pray for us. I think of a pastor who went through a very severe trial in his life and was so discouraged. It was so hard for him to pray. And his wife said to him, lean on me. I have enough faith for the both of us. And she prayed. She prayed him through that time of trial in their life. And sometimes we need that. A friend, a spouse, a family member who will uphold us in prayer. We need a church who prays. So dear friends, if I were to come to you and I were to ask you, do you want to know God more intimately? And do you want to feel compassion more deeply? And do you want your character to be more godly? And do you want to trust God more completely? What would you say? Well, I think any true believer would say, yes, I mean, I want those things in my life. But if I said to you that it may involve suffering or hardship or difficulties, would you still say yes? Because it is one of God's tools that he uses to make us more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. And what Paul would say is we don't seek it. We don't seek suffering in our life. But if it comes, we will trust him. And we will see that God's grace is sufficient in our troubles. Let's pray. Father, you know the circumstances that all of us are facing today. And we come to you and we hear a word like this and Part of us says, I don't want to go there. I don't want to hear that. And yet on the other side, we see 
How amazing it has been when by your grace you have worked in an individual's life to give them power and faith and hope and confidence in you and they shine for Christ. And so, Father, we yield ourselves to you today and we say, Lord, would you make us more like Jesus? Would you work in our life and in our heart those things that are pleasing to you? And will you give us the grace that we need to meet the trials that come our way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.